guys, I want to take a second to talk about Murder Minute, which is a new true crime app that delivers chilling true crime stories straight to your mobile device. So every day there's a new story that investigates a gruesome act of America's worst serial killers. You get to explore into the minds of psychopaths and murderers. That might sound dark, but I actually find this completely fascinating. It's your daily dose of true crime creepiness delivered straight to your mobile device through the Murder Minute app. So for example, you can learn what kind of trophies Ted Bundy collected, where he kept them, why he could smile all the time. <laughs> and you can become a true crime expert with actual facts about well-known and lesser-known serial killers. I'm kind of into this. It's like, why did they call David Parker Ray the toy box killer? And you can learn what goes into the psychology of a serial killer, which is huge today. So get the ins and outs of police investigation practices and what makes a cold case cold. So you sign up, it's easy and fun, and the design is simple and easy to use. It looks just like a chat log and keeps your ears free to listen for people creeping up behind you. You know, like your boss or a murderer. To get started, find and download Murder Minute from the App Store or visit MurderMinute.com. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-M-I-N-U-T-E dot com to get your daily dose of true crime creepiness delivered straight to your mobile device. And I, I actually think there's there's a Neil Gaiman um, college speech that he gave, like a kind of like you're graduating, here's your college speech. Mm -hmm. And he also gave the advice of fake it till you make it. So even Neil Gaiman does this. So yeah. I'm just telling you. Welcome to Persister with Candace Lowry. I am Candace Lowry. What is a persister? A persister is a little play on words of nevertheless she persisted, but also a woman who has truly broken through that glass ceiling and has really forged a path and a name for herself in whatever business she's in. Persister with Candace Lowry is a Castbox original produced alongside Studio 71. Castbox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. You can listen to Persister with Candace Lowry wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give Castbox a shot because I think it's the best. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Persister with Candace Lowry. I am Candace Lowry, and I have Aaron Larosa here today. I'm Aaron Larosa. Yeah, <laughs> you okay? Did you plan this whole color palette? Like, did I did I intentionally put on this sweater? Today? Well, the sweater, the hair, and the Lacroix right now. Oh wow! It's like, I didn't realize that I met. You know what? I'm like, this is a beautiful yes, sunset did. right now. I did, actually. I just wanted you to be aesthetically happy. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm fulfilling I, that. I, I saw that and I was like, did she plan this? Gosh. <laughs> um, welcome. Thank you. I'm so, so excited. So happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited for you to be here. Um, so you are an author of multiple books. That's true. Did you just write a play? I just wrote a play. Okay, you just yeah. wrote a play. Um, you used to be the big boss when I was a little kid <laughs> at BuzzFeed. When you were my little, my little lamb, yeah. my little lamb chop at BuzzFeed, fellow. yeah. Um, yeah, I was at BuzzFeed for five years. I was uh, editorial director when I left on the West Coast. And uh, I oversaw some video and editorial departments there. And 
Yeah, you were there too. It was so great. <laughs> and I'm excited to get into that. And also, um, right now, you're a manager at Netflix. Yeah, so I'm a manager um, in the editorial department at Netflix. It's really fun. Yeah. I oversee um, these channels at Netflix Film on Twitter and Instagram. So I get to talk about movies all day. Which so is... follow Netflix Film. <laughs> uh, hashtag follow me. Hashtag. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Um, so every time I start an interview, I just ask a fun question. Oh, great. That pertains Love to... Love fun questions. <laughs> but fun I am gal. interested because I am on Netflix all day, <laughs> and a lot of people are. What do you think is the most underrated show or movie on Oh, yes. Own? Okay, so I, um love keeping TV on in the back in the background mm-hmm. while I'm working and so one show that I just put on because it kept getting served to me was the curious creations of Christine McConnell oh. which is sort of like Halloween themed when you look at the thumbnail it's like you know this woman she's making a cookie or whatever and I was like I'll just put that on in the background no big deal and I'm watching it and I'm listening to it and it is like the strangest, most delightful show <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. It's like a mix of um, Pee Wee Herman meets like some kind of Great British Bake Off kind of thing. But there, there are Muppet characters. Um, there's a whole storyline. And she lives in kind of like a haunted, spooky house. There's a raccoon named Rose who she's brought back from the dead and has like a, a fork for a hand. What? And is like a sexually promiscuous raccoon. Um, there's so it's like, not for kids? No, I okay. would say it's not for kids. There's like a whole storyline about how the raccoon is like, um, like having a lot of sex with a garden gnome who lives next door. <laughs> oh my so God. it's only six episodes. I think they're 30 minutes each, but it's like... Okay. Pure joy. Okay, because I keep seeing it pop up, and I'm like, is this like a baking a, show or something? Right? Like a barefoot Contessa. Dark it is. <laughs> it is so fabulous and strange, and I've I've honestly never seen anything like it. Really, and it is a delight. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna have to watch that because yeah. it keeps showing up, and I'm like, mm, should I? Watch I this? love it. Um, but well, I've been obsessed with Great British Bake Off. Uh, I was watching it last night with really? the new the two new mm-hmm. hosts. Um, They're not bad. Yeah, well, I don't know, you know, there's this show, it's like an older comedy show called The Mighty Boosh. Yes. Okay, and so that like, guy is from The Mighty how are they going to, how is he going to do on this? And he's great. He's great. <laughs> he's you know so what, he's cute. great. I'm still a little bit like, like harumph about the fact that my yeah. old faves aren't there, but yeah, they're doing I, good. I they're trying really hard. <laughs> I miss Mary Berry too. Actually, I, I was just at a Halloween party where there was a guy and a girl dressed as Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry. Really? There, and it was great. Oh my God. Brought back a lot of warm feelings. Soggy bottoms. Soggy <laughs> bottoms. Yeah, because I don't want those. So I'm trying to do a video where I try to do Great British Bake Off recipes. And, and I'm like, how's it going? I haven't started. <laughs> I'm trying to get the right recipes, and I'm like, I'm worried here uh-huh. that I'm going to miserably <laughs> fail because once I start seeing the steps, and it's like, I just picture Paul Hollywood just staring me down. Yeah, he's but, intense. Yeah, he's intense. It feels like you shouldn't do any of his recipes, or maybe you should for or the comic bread. factor. Yeah, yeah, his his bread is gonna be tough. God, like trying out a pastry with the like folding and shoe. Yeah, I learned so much from that show. Yes. <laughs> um. Okay, anyway, we have talked about that. Um, so <laughs> I got to talk about you. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so you went to Emerson. 
Yeah, I went to Emerson for undergrad. Yeah. And um, I, th- I feel like uh, this will set up maybe a lot of how I approach life, which is at Emerson, I actually started as a film major. Okay. And I was a film major for about a week. And I was like, oh, I don't want to learn all the technical stuff of running a camera. I just want to do writing. So then I decided to major in TV video at Emerson, which is sort of like they do a lot of TV writing classes. But I was like, that's not enough writing. So I'm also going to double major in writing literature and publishing. So I was a double major. And then I was also like, well, maybe I need like a journalism minor to get even more writing in there. <laughs> Oh, my God. So I was a double major with a journalism minor, and I did it all in four I years. I was about to say, did you graduate in four years? I did, but I just really worked hard. And I th- – but this is part of my problem is that I, I've – been attracted and interested in so many different things Mm -hmm. that that means that I've never had like a totally clear focus of what my life should be. Right. But I feel like that's part of you being creative too. Yeah. I mean, it's ultimately led, you know, all of those things have led to all of the different jobs I've had, but I, I haven't had like a super straight path of like, oh, you know, I've written two books <coughs> and so. I've written a play mm-hmm. but it's not like I knew like oh I only want to write books or I only even even my writing is all over the place in terms <laughs> yeah, of what I like you to write started more like entertainment writing right mm-hmm. yeah so I was um when I graduated from Emerson I had a job my first job out of college was at Random House and I was like this is my life I'm gonna be a book editor <laughs> and then like six months in, I was like, I can't be a book editor. <laughs> and then reality. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like I'm getting paid. I think at the time I was getting paid $35,000 a year. And that was like in New York. And I was like, there's no way I will ever be able to live in this city and not like have my parents helping me with my rent. Yeah. And so I decided that I would, I don't know why this seemed like a great idea. I was like, oh yeah, I'll go to grad school for writing. I'll just buy myself some time. Yeah. And so I ended up coming out to LA to USC, okay, and majoring in writing there. But uh, you know, I got I got a scholarship, and they paid me to to teach there. So I got mm-hmm. my tuition covered, and I also got like a salary. Right. Uh, and if you ever want to go to grad school, you should always make sure that they pay for grad school. Never ever pay for grad school if you're going into a creative grad oh. program. That's like something a teacher from my undergrad at Emerson taught me, you can always ask for money. Always yeah. tell them that other schools are trying to give you money. So at USC, I you know, I emailed a person there and I was like, you know, I've got offers from two other schools. What can you offer me? So um, did they offer you money and then you apply for a job there? Or it was No, part, part of the money was they were like, okay, we'll pay for your tuition. And we will, but you have to teach for us. So I had to teach mm. um, undergraduate writing, and so that's where the the also the stipend came in of like, and here's a salary that we'll give you. But it's it wasn't a lot. So then I was like, okay, I've got to make a little more money, which is when I started freelance writing. Mm. Um, and when I was freelance writing, I I wrote for anything that would I like five dollars an article, no problem, I'll do it. I was writing for vegan websites. I was writing for a lot of like random celebrity websites. To your mm-hmm. point, but I ended up really loving writing online because it, that instant gratification of being like, oh, I published something and people are commenting on it, and mm-hmm. even if they're terrible comments, I'm still I'm like getting noticed. Getting noticed. <laughs> wow, this is great. So. And, you know, at that time, too, because, as I said, my interests are all over the place and I'm kind of a curious person. 
I was I was getting into comedy, so I was um, mm. taking classes at UCB, which is like a very um, big trope in LA. Yeah. Everyone takes a class at UCB. I know. People are like, come to my show. I'm like, That's how right. many shows are there? How many shows are there? There are a lot of shows <laughs> good. every night. They're great shows. Yeah. But I um, met a friend there, a good friend of mine uh, named Allie Horde, who is is now like a comedic writer as well. But she was writing for Funny or Die at the time, mm. and she was like do you also want to write for Funny or Die? And I was, you know, like, absolutely. Yeah. So that was, like, one of my first big freelance writing jobs was writing for them. I feel um, like they're, like, the OG online comedy video website. Absolutely. Almost, you know? Yeah. And, you know, when I was writing there, this was years ago, and um, they were really big. It was one of those things where, like, celebrities all wanted to be in their videos, mm-hmm. and I got to, like, write some videos with Allie and also wrote for their pictures and words section, and I, I was just <laughs> like, this is great. Mm-hmm. This is great. So was this all while you were at USC still? Yeah, this was all while at USC. So did you have time to do other things? I I did, but you know, <laughs> I think one of my secret superpowers is time management, mm-hmm. and I've gotten really good at that. Um, How do you do that? So <laughs> I am such a procrastinator to yeah. the point where I feel like anyone I work for is afraid that I like. <laughs> I had a huge deck for FX and like two days before they're like, where is it? And I'm like, it's not ready. <laughs> and they're like, this is bad. <laughs> like, But I get it done. It's weird. Everyone has their method. So like, I'm not like, if that works for you, you should stick to yeah. it. If like waiting until the last minute and being under the gun like that, yeah. that might drive you. Um for me, I think a, a huge thing that has helped me is that I became a morning person. Mm-hmm. And I say became because I used to be a total insomniac and I would just be like, you know, staring at the ceiling and mm-hmm. turning on the TV and figuring out. But I, um, when I was in grad school, I really did have to focus because I had to write my thesis. And so the only time where I felt like I could actually focus was really early in the morning. So I started mm-hmm. getting up at 6 a.m. every day and from 6 oh. to 8, that was my time to work on my thesis. But it took me um, probably like a month to actually feel like, oh, I can wake up at six and mm-hmm. I don't feel like going back to bed. I, I'm like right. wide awake. And then after I got over that hump, it was just so easy. And yeah. I still do that to this day. I get up at six <laughs> and I write. And I'm, I'm jealous of people that do that. And I want to know, do you just, are you like cold turkey? Like we got to set our alarm at six starting I eased now. into it. <laughs> I eased into it, like little half hour increments. Yeah. But yeah, you just have to, I think, be kind to yourself and know like, okay, it's not going to be great the first week or the second week or the third week, but there will come a week where I will wake up Mm -hmm. and I'll feel fine and it'll be fine. But it takes, it's like practicing, it's like a muscle. Yeah. I want to be like that cool person that's able to watch the news and (laughs) sip some coffee in the morning and not just fly out the door. That's right. You know? Yeah. You have to make time where you can is kind of it. And maybe you're more of a night person and maybe that's when you carve out your time. But for me, it was sort of like, I know that in the morning no one will disturb me and it'll be just like the world is quiet. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I need to focus. So this is a random question that I was thinking about. When you taught kids in school (laughs) makes you sound like kindergarten teacher yeah um when you were i guess professor were there some really bad students 
You know it, girl. They were really bad what students. What do you do? I just, I don't um, know. Sometimes I wonder when I would turn in papers, I'm like, I wonder if they're just reading this being like this girl did not even try or something. Yeah. So I had, I had all manner of bad students. Um, I had students who plagiarized. I had students <sighs> who, and I caught them. Yeah, how do you, did you do it software? Or you were like, this is clearly not it was, you? It would be like, um, you know, a student who, you know, was incorrectly using commas throughout and, and not using the correct words, like maybe using antidote instead of an- anecdote. Mm. And then all of a sudden there would be a paragraph that was just like, beautifully (laughs) written and very eloquent and i would i'd be like hmm and i would then i would take that paragraph and paste it into google and be like oh this is from wikipedia which really deeply offended me that they would steal something from wikipedia at least go into a book yeah out of everything that's just lazy (laughs) but yeah i i feel like my my method and my mode at that time was because also I was really young. I was mm. probably, I think I was 24 teaching 18 year olds. And I think <laughs> they knew how young I was. And so I, my method was that I would dress and act really severe for the first like month. <laughs> oh. So I would put my hair up in a really tight bun. I always wore my glasses. I wore black to every class and I would be dead quiet. And as they all f- spiled They're in. They're like, oh my God, you have Professor LaRosa. <laughs> yeah. And, but you know what? I just had this thing of like, I just have to be really strict with them in the, in the first place. And then I can ease out of it and they'll be so terrified that they'll be good. And so for the most part, that worked, honestly. And yeah. by the end of the class, I was my normal self. Yeah. And everything was great. But I, I just had to set the tone of like, <laughs> because, you know, as a woman, too, it's you are judged in so many ways. And there are actually studies about, you know, female professors are are judged way mm. harsher than, than male professors in um, surveys and, and end-of-year feedback. So they actually a lot of departments don't use that feedback anymore because mm. they know it's gender biased and wow. people have this gender bias without even knowing it. So for me, I was just like, I gotta, I gotta fix this. Yeah. I gotta be, and you know, I don't think a male colleague of mine would have had to do the same things, but right. I felt like I had to. No. Yeah. And then they're kind of like, instead of being like, oh, she's tough. It's like, oh, she's a bitch. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's some guy professors was like, man, this dude's like rough. And then I guess if a girl acted the same way, it'd be like, she's like, bitch. She it's really women. tough. <laughs> it's really tough. Do you, but it kind of sounds like, a, though, it almost set you up to be a manager, kind yeah. of. And I actually used that um, when I had my first manager job, was, which was when I got my first full-time writing job at E, mm-hmm. um, which was before BuzzFeed. And what I said was like, well, you know, I taught classes, so I'm super organized <laughs> and, you know, I can manage people. Yeah. And I don't know if that sold it, but I did get the job. And I ended up, you know, managing writers when I was at E. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like that really helped me when I went to BuzzFeed in terms of, because, you know, I think, was that your first job out of college? Yeah. So I was like going to poop my pants every day. I was so scared. So you were not alone. It felt like a lot, like most of the people we worked with were fresh out of college. For me, it was not my first job, but I actually used that kind of lesson plan format and Mm -hmm. like 
a lot of my teaching games in our brainstorms. Mm. I don't know if you remember that, but I would have these like yeah. elaborate brainstorms with like cue cards and games yeah. right on the board. I so, took them with me. I was like, these are like the best <laughs> games ever. Yeah, and I just kind of pulled that from um, you know my experience teaching because I would I would remember a glazed classroom with their eyes, mm. you know, everyone's eyes being glazed, and I I never wanted that to happen. Um, so I quickly learned through teaching like how to keep people engaged and I felt like that worked mm -hmm. in brainstorms and I felt like you know because of that a lot of people at BuzzFeed ended up copying that those brainstorming yeah. methods because they just worked and people stayed awake <laughs> during that. Yeah no I feel like that helped because it was my first job I feel like it helped me be more creative in writing and what I was doing and Good. then yeah, and then when I went to my next job, people were like, what is this, like, a magic <laughs> thing? I'm like, a brainstorm? Yeah. Like, and so it Because well, a lot of them can be boring, and, you, and yeah. you figure that out when you go to other companies, right? It's yeah. like when you get that experience of, like, oh, not every company is creative like this mm -hmm. or whatever, you really get that perspective. Yeah. And I want to talk more on, you know, not only moving to BuzzFeed, but mm -hmm. also being at, I guess, what was a startup when you were there. Oh yeah, I mean, when I when I started at BuzzFeed, it w there were five employees. <laughs> and I remember telling my parents like, "Oh, I'm going to work at this website called BuzzFeed." And my my dad kept calling it the Feed Buzz. <laughs> and a lot of my friends in LA and New York who maybe should have known about it, like no one knew about it. And mm -hmm. it was sort of like a huge risk that I left E, this like very yeah. massive company to go to BuzzFeed. Um, and I thought like, oh wow, I just left like my 401k and I left all this like adult stuff that I need. And now I'm going to this startup where who knows if it's gonna fold. And mm -hmm. a lot of people at E told me, they were like, okay, well when it folds, you can come back. And so, but you know, I just- But it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> and I really felt like I saw the potential of what BuzzFeed could be beyond mm -hmm. like, the cute cat stuff, which I also, obviously we love cats. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, we were working out of basically a shared workspace. So we had one desk, not much bigger than this, that we all mm. sat at. And there were other people at other companies working around us, including this guy who brought in his like very massive dog every day <laughs> who would come over and just like drool in our oh laps. And I remember thinking, I was like, I what have I done? <laughs> like, I'm at this like weird building and I don't know if this is gonna work out for me. Right. But it just kept growing. And I think I think taking risks are really important and, and taking the risk to go to a, a startup is mm -hmm. a great risk to take because the best case scenario is it turns into something like BuzzFeed did. Right. Um, right. And you can be part of something from the ground up and grow really quickly, which yeah. I did. And I want I want to go into that more, but mm -hmm. first take a real quick break. Okay. <laughs> so we'll be right back. All right, everybody. I want to talk about Zola. Zola, the wedding company that will do anything for love, is reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. From engagements to weddings and to decorating your first home, Zola is there combining compassionate customer service with modern tools and technology, all in the service of love. Now, I'm not married yet, 
but hopefully one day I will be. And I'm so excited to be able to explore these kind of registry uh, websites and everything just so I can be prepared and make my wedding as easy as possible. So speaking of easy, Zola is the easiest way to plan your wedding and register. I'm just saying I have a lot of stressed out friends that are getting married right now that kind of need this. So basically you join over 500,000 couples who've used Zola. It takes the stress out of wedding planning with free wedding websites, your dream wedding registry, affordable save the dates and invitations, and easy to use planning tools. You can conveniently manage everything online and in one place, which saves so much time for couples and actually can probably help the stress of getting married. Um, So you start with a free wedding website, which is super easy and takes just a few minutes to set up. And you get over 100 beautiful wedding website designs to choose from that fit any couple style and every type of wedding. Zola makes it easy to personalize your favorite design with all your wedding details. You can add photos, stories about how you two met, travel and accommodation information, and even recommend things to do for your guests while they're in town for your wedding. An FAQ section helps address those awkward questions like, can I bring my kids? Or do I actually have a plus one? You can put your Zola registry on your wedding website so guests can get all the details they need and buy your wedding gift in one convenient and beautiful place. So you have your website and now you're going to build your dream registry on Zola. Zola makes registering for newlywed life so easy. The Zola store has the widest selection of gifts at all different types of price points. There's something for every guest to give, so nobody has an excuse. Guests love free shipping and returns, price matching, and more. Over 500 top brands from OXO and Cuisinart to Sonos and Airbnb. You can also create a fun for your honeymoon, future home, new puppy, or kitten, or anything you want. Plus, register for gift cards to your favorite brands like Delta, Southwest, Hulu, Home Depot, and more. They also have the best completion discount, 20% off remaining gifts on your registry, starting right after your big day. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to zola.com slash persister. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash P-E-R S-I-S-T-E-R. Once again, that's Zola.com slash Persister. P-E-R-S-I-S-T-E-R. So I want to talk about Stitch Fix real quick. This has actually been wonderful for me because I'm about to move to Seattle, which is a totally different climate. So I was super excited to use Stitch Fix to help me kind of get that Pacific Northwest look. So basically Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Emphasis on the budget because this is very important to me. Just go to stitchfix.com slash persister and tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. Then you'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick five items to send right to your door. Then you try them on, pay for only what you love, and return the rest. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. And there's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or just get your fix whenever you want. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, which is applied toward anything you keep from your shipment. 
Get started now at stitchfix.com slash persister and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash persister to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash persister. Hello everybody, welcome back to Persister. Aaron is here with me. Still here. <laughs> Can't still, get rid of me. Still sunset aura here. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were just talking about you know, making this leap from a huge company that you have this guaranteed stability Security, almost. yeah. Yeah, and kind of making this jump. And so, you know, that was so small. So what was that moment where you were like, I need to take this and try it and do it? Yeah, so I, I remember it really clearly, which was, you know, I was at E. I had been there for a year, and I was their top performing writer because I, of course, looked at all the data. Mm-hmm. And I went to my boss, and at that point, I was making 50000 a year at E, mm-hmm. which was, like, more money than I had ever made. And I right. was like, I am rich, and I was so <laughs> I excited. <am> <laughs> I was like, I can pay my rent. <laughs> yeah. This is great. Um, but I, you know, I wanted more money. And so I went to my boss, and I said to him, I was like, you know, I'm in this spot where I can pay my rent, but I'm not saving anything in mm-hmm. some months I'm only like skating by Mm -hmm. and I would love, um, you know, a $10,000 increase. And I was like, I feel like I've earned it. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, if I don't get that, I'm going to have to get a second job and I don't want to have to do that. Mm -hmm. And he said to me without missing a beat, he was like, you know, I can't give you a raise at this time uh, because we're corporate and we don't give raises until like year two. Mm -hmm. He was like, but I'll help you get a second job. And <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know your little face insane. just did what my face did. And so I knew at that moment, I was like, I do not want to work for this person who clearly doesn't want to advocate for me. Yeah. And who would suggest that it's okay for me to have a second job on top of my very busy full time job. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had to get out of there. And, you know, sometimes timing really works out, but a friend of mine emailed and told me that BuzzFeed was opening an office in LA. And I had actually already applied for a job at BuzzFeed Mm. before it had an LA office. I really wanted to work there. So I think one thing to know is that like, I I just really believed in that company and what they were doing. And I thought it was so cool, like Mm -hmm. very early on. Um, But you know, I applied and I went to one interview um, with a guy named Scott Lamb, who (laughs) I love, he's still at BuzzFeed. And um, we had a great and weird conversation. He was, it was not like any interview I'd ever done. He was asking me a lot about just like what I like to do for fun. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's really weird that he's asking me these questions, (laughs) but okay. And I just, you know, I really wanted to work there and I asked them for what I wanted, which was Mm 60,000 and they matched it. Mm. And they were like, no problem. We'll give you 60. And I remember talking to my mom and she was like, you should always go with a company that wants you to do well and wants you to succeed. And it felt like they wanted that for me. And that really meant a lot. And it felt like that was who I wanted to be working for versus Mm -hmm. the guy who's telling me to get a second job. I believe that. Oh, yeah, that happened. That's real. It still blows my mind. I know. The funny thing is that when I told E I was leaving – they then offered to match the 60K. Oh, no. Sorry. It's too late. <laughs> yeah. No it's too thanks. late. 
But yeah, so you, I think you have to be willing to ask for what you need and want. Mm-hmm. And if a company or an employer isn't willing to give that to you, then you shouldn't work for them. And yeah, you need to find I mean, a way out. It is another thing, too. I feel like being a girl, mm-hmm. too, I've had been very timid about talking about that and asking about that. And both my parents grew up in business, and they were like, you you need to do you and focus on yourself. And yeah. like, if you should be comfortable to ask. And like if and and then I think like, oh, if I were my dad, he would have no problem. I mean, you know, you know I think the thing to keep in mind and I I've tried to tell anyone I've managed this, but mm-hmm. you know, the worst case scenario is that they say no and then you know what you have to do, which mm-hmm. is like you have to find another job. Yeah. Um and so that's the worst case and that's not a big deal. Really. Yeah. You know, like out of all of the scary things that can happen, no one will ever fire you for asking for more money. Yeah, I guess that's true. Right? Right. Be like your performance review. You asked for money. So yeah. And I've like- asked for money at every job I've ever been in every single year. Even mm-hmm. if I feel like I'm being a little overpaid or something, I'll be like, hey, I would like to ask for <laughs> this much money. Yeah. And sometimes I've gotten it and sometimes I haven't. And that's okay. Uh, but I always ask. Yeah, and I feel like the more times you do it, the easier it gets, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not in and a, like, it's so easy, but in, like, a, you know? Yeah, it's not easy, you know? It's, like, it is scary to be vulnerable in that way, but at the end of the day, again, the worst-case scenario is they say no. hmm Yeah. No biggie. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. No problem. I'll go find another job. <laughs> yeah. No problem. So when you, because you were a writer, then the editor, mm-hmm. then the deputy editor, right? Yeah. <laughs> like trying to remember. Yeah, I started as a staff writer. Yeah. And then, you know, became a manager and um, editorial director when I left. But I went from a very purely creative role into mm-hmm. managing creative people mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah, didn't I know that sometimes when you're a creative person, it can be a little not nerve wracking, but sometimes when people are like, "Well, I still want to be creative, but I mm-hmm. want to move up and I want to be a manager." Do yeah. you feel like you still have the ability to be creative? Yeah, you have it? to really find ways into it, though. You have to work at it. So mm-hmm. when I was managing people, the way that I would be creative was when I was thinking about strategy for the teams mm-hmm. or you know, how to give feedback to someone. So you you kind of channel your creative energy elsewhere. But also, for me, what that meant was like, okay, I also have to have a different creative outlet, which is mm-hmm. actually when I started really getting into book writing. Because I was like, if I'm not writing at this job, Where I still I need to it? be writing. Yeah. Oh, my God. How – I've asked this, like, multiple times to people. How do you write a book? <laughs> like, I just – I don't know how you can get that many pages. <laughs> it just blows my mind. Do you just do kind of a little bit at a time? Or? Well, you know, for me, for both of my books, um, my first book, I was approached to write it, so I didn't mm-hmm. pitch it, but I had a six-month deadline, so I had, a, okay. I had to write it in six months. Okay. Um, and the second book was also nonfiction. They're both nonfiction books, so I sold it on a proposal, which is usually two chapters and an outline. Hmm. And they also gave me six months. So for both of my books, I had six months. Um, can you negotiate You can. With you that? definitely can. And so what they had asked me for both of them was, like, how much research time do you need? And mm-hmm. for the first one, 
what did I know? It was my first book. So I was like six months, no problem. Yeah. And I was able to do it, but I was writing constantly. And so that's that was the trade-off. <laughs> but then when the second book came around, I was like, well, I did it mm-hmm. in six months the first time, so let's just do it again. <laughs> Here we go. And again. then I did it. <laughs> um, but, you know... For fiction, something like fiction, you're gonna that's gonna take more time. You're gonna yeah. have to be editing a lot and re-editing and a lot of a lot of writing is rewriting. Mm-hmm. So you really just have to get used to like your first draft is gonna be terrible. Trash. Like total trash. You're gonna reread it and you're gonna be like, What, <laughs> what happened? Like, why is this sentence cut off in the middle? And like, <laughs> what was I talking about? Mm-hmm. And you just have to be okay with that and know that the first draft you write is not going to be the draft you get published. That's right. fine. Right. But how do you do it? I don't know. You just have to. You, <laughs> you just do. <laughs> you just do it. Yeah. I mean, you can use time on, like, bring your computer to work and use your lunch break to write. Mm-hmm. Like, get up early in the morning like I did. Like, you just, you figure it out. Yeah. Deadlines help, I think. Yeah, for that me. pressure, I guess. But, <laughs> so, I feel like, you know, you're at a place like BuzzFeed that's so explosive. I mean, it kind of laid the pipeline for media and video merging together and you know, Absolutely. these viral videos. So how did it go? Did like Netflix, I don't know if you're allowed to say this, if Netflix approached you or, you know, was it hard to leave someplace that you've basically seen grow from the ground up? You yeah, know so I, mean? I had been at BuzzFeed for five years. So it was a huge chunk of my life and it was like, you know, the longest I had ever been at any job. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I think it had gotten to a point where I just wasn't feeling challenged anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like I had kind of like hit a ceiling in terms of where I could go within the company. And I still love BuzzFeed. I think it's a really great creative place. Um, But I knew that I couldn't stay any longer because I wasn't doing the best work that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So what I did, a friend of mine told me like, don't fixate on your next title, like what your job title will be. She said, just think about a company where you want to work. And similar to what you said earlier, like I watch Netflix all the time Mm -hmm. and I love it. And it seemed like a really cool company. Yeah. Um, And so I was, I looked at Netflix, I looked at Disney, I looked at a few other companies, Apple, Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, And I just reached out to people who I thought might know people there or to contacts I had. I had two friends who were working at Netflix and really loved it. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of put it on their radar. I'm looking for a new job. If you hear of anything, let me know. Mm-hmm. And you would be surprised how when you just let people know, when you are when you become vulnerable and you let people know, like, mm-hmm. I'm looking, can you, do you know of anything? Can you help me? Like, people people will help you and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll keep you in mind for things. So my friend was like, oh, there's this really cool part of the company that, that like, does social media, basically, for movies. Like, mm-hmm. would you be interested in that? And I was like, I've never worked in film in my life, um, <laughs> but sure, like mm-hmm. I'll I'll interview, and I did, and it was a I I don't know I still don't know how I got the job. <laughs> I think a lot of people at Netflix have imposter syndrome because you just feel like I'm so lucky to be here. Yeah. Um, and I still feel that way. I I truly don't know why they gave me the job, but I love it, and I've been there for a little over a year now. Yeah. Um, but it was it was hard to leave BuzzFeed just because um, you know you become it's like a second family, mm-hmm. your work family. You're there most of the time during the day. Right. Um, so I was sad to leave people who I really love. 
um, and know that I wouldn't be around them every day. But yeah. I felt like it was just something I really needed to do. And ultimately, I was really excited to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there is also that, like, leap of faith. But also... Mm-hmm you know, looking back to see how far you've come to get to that point, too. And I remember when, um, because I was talking about you, about possibly working on Netflix. And um, then I was interviewed and we talked about the culture there. And I feel like Netflix has a very unique culture, but also it values its culture. Like it focuses on it. I remember being asked a lot of questions about that. And so... When you're looking at people that you want to join your team, like, what do you look for mostly? Well, you know, I manage a team of freelance writers, Mm -hmm. so it's a little different because I'm not hiring any, like, full-time staff Mm -hmm. to Netflix. But I think, you know, all of my coworkers are really driven. Um, They are comfortable um, talking about feedback and giving each other feedback Mm -hmm. and, and being open to feedback. Um, you know, I feel like I'm surrounded by basically like people at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just feels like you're you're really inundated with very talented, very smart people all the time. So, you know, I don't know what the secret sauce is for that, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, but it's um, just the personality, I guess. Yeah. You know? I mean it it feels like a really great and exciting and energizing place to be every mm-hmm. day when you go into work. Like, people are happy to be there. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to be there. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's fun. I, w- I was um, leaving work today, and I got on a call with my my husband, my husband. And, he, you know, it's like every day the first question he asks is, how was work? And I was like, it was really great. And that's, like, most my answer most days. So Yeah. And people would, like, die to have that, you know, to just enjoy their jobs. Yeah. And I think, you know, if people are interested in – working at Netflix mm-hmm. it's sort of like you know read that culture deck I think it's online and, mm-hmm. and free to read and if it feels like you know it's speaking to you then that's definitely that you know and for me like I remember reading it and being like this is exactly what I want to be part of mm-hmm. and um it felt right for me mm-hmm. and it felt good um yeah and I I think that that was an emphasis that I got too was just you know like this is the we're looking for a specific type of person, but just because you're not this person does not mean you're you're good at what you do, you know. And I think that have you ever had a moment where you wanted to be a part of a company or somewhere so badly, but it's just it wasn't the right fit? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Where Well, I mean, you know, Disney was another company where I looked Mm -hmm. uh, when I was looking to leave BuzzFeed. And I reached out a couple of times. And actually, this is it's all coming back to me now because I've had so many jobs (laughs) in my life. Um, Disney had this really great interactive website that it um, had years ago that has since folded. Mm. But um, before I got my job at E, I was applying at Disney and I was applying there for like six months. And it was just a really long process of hiring. And I was so drawn to it because it just seemed like such a great creative opportunity. They had these cool offices in Burbank where we are right now (laughs) um, where they had like a bar in in there and they had like a, a room called the Moon Room where you could go and nap. What? And I was like, what is this place? I had never, it felt very techie. Yeah. 
And I was so disappointed when I didn't get the job. And Ugh. I just remember feeling like, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, you always kind of blame yourself. And the truth is, to your point, like most companies are looking for something very specific. And just because you're not that specific thing doesn't mm -hmm. reflect badly on you. It's just they have something in mind. Right. And, you know, as a writer, that that re rejection happens all the time. Um, and like probably one of the more devastating rejections I had was that um, in when I was really trying to write fiction, I had gotten very far with a publisher where, where I had signed a book contract mm -hmm. to kind of ghostwrite for this author. And, um, you know, I wrote, I think, the first 80 pages of the book, and we kept rewriting and rewriting, and I could tell that the tone just wasn't hitting where mm -hmm. she wanted me to go. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, they, they let me go from the book contract, oh. and she ended up getting a new author, and the book got published. Um, but I was just, I was devastated for months. You know, I was just like, oh my God, I'm not a writer. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't deserve writing. Why did I, <laughs> why did I pursue this in the first place? Um, and, you know, it's, it's fine. Ultimately, yeah. it's like you will get rejected all the time. If you mm -hmm. want to, if you want to be in this world, you will get rejected all the time. Um, don't expect to get everything. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't. There was a time in my life especially when I was first starting out where I was like, of course I'll get every job. Of yeah. course I will. Um, and you won't. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've been rejected before. Everyone but, has. Um, but, yeah, I think just to, you know, wrap it up and kind of conclude. Yeah. There, um, for the young girl that wants to work at a place like Netflix eventually or wants – to see themselves being like a boss lady at a place like BuzzFeed or Netflix, you know, what would you say to them? I know that's a big question, but. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's like one piece of advice. I mean, I feel like this is this is like a tried and true trope, but mm -hmm. fake it till you make it is really important. And I, I actually think there's, there's a Neil Gaiman um, college speech that he gave, like a kind of like, you're graduating, here's your college speech. Mm -hmm. And he also gave the advice of fake it till you make it. So even Neil Gaiman does this. Yeah. So I'm just telling you. Yeah, I think that it's that issue of just be confident and, you know, you're badass. You know, and I feel like even when you were talking to Alex, like, even when I was a fellow, I was like, Erin's so cool. Like, she's, like, a boss-ass bitch. And, like, well, I think I, what you were picking up on is, like, I. but again, I think this does go back to fake it till you make it because um, if you if you have a strong opinion, mm -hmm. it may not even be the right one, but you have to have, you have to have an opinion. And yeah. so often I would say things where, looking back, I was like, that probably wasn't the right thing to say, <laughs> but I was the most confident person in the room, and I said it, and so we did it, and we tried it, and maybe it failed, but yeah. someone had to, and so it's sort of like, just just be the person who who knows what they're talking about, and that will get you really far, yeah. um, even if you feel terrified in the moment. Just look like you're <laughs> It helps, it works. you know? Um, and I think being, like, People want to be around the person who knows what they're talking about, yeah. and you want to be inspired by that person. You want to be led by that person. Mm -hmm. And so fake it till you make it. Yeah. 
It works. It's tried and true. I'm telling you. (laughs) Well, I'm very happy that you were able to come in um, at night. <laughs> we told we told people to lie tonight. Yes. We, what else did we do? Um, we talked about cats a little bit. Yes. Um, lie cats. Lie cats. We'll figure out the third um, one. Don't get a second job. Don't get a second job. Get a new boss. Yes. And f- always find a creative outlet. Yes. Make one Even for if yourself. it means getting up at 6 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so... Where can people find you? So people can find me online at mm. Side of Ginger because I have red hair. Yeah. Um, so of course I did that. You've written Why about not? ginger. I've written about redheads. <laughs> One of my books about redheads. Um, yeah, and I'm excited to connect with people. Reach yeah. reach out. Yeah, at reach out. me. Wave at me. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Yeah. And this is great. Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of Persister. And I hope you learned a lot. I learned a lot. Um, You know, it's always helpful to just bring people in across the industry and learn more. And um, I hope you guys got inspired. So um, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.